In this episode of the Business of E-Commerce, I talk with Mark Willis about self-funding your e-commerce business. This is a Business of E-Commerce, episode 92. Today's episode is sponsored by Drip. Drip is the world's first e-commerce CRM and a tool that I personally use for email marketing and automation. Now, if you're running an e-commerce store, you need to give Drip a try, and here's why. Drip offers one-click integrations for both Shopify and Magento. There's robust segmentation, personalization, and revenue dashboards to give you an overview of how your automation emails are performing. One of my favorite features of Drip is the Visual Workflow Builder. It gives you a super easy way to build out your automation rules visually and see the entire process. It lets you get started quickly, but also build very complex automation rules. It's powerful, but also easy to learn, unlike a lot of email tools that offer the same type of automation. To get a demo of Drip today, you can go head over to drip.com slash BOE. That's drip.com slash BOE. Now onto the show. Welcome to the Business of E-Commerce, the show that helps e-commerce retailers start, launch, and grow the e-commerce business. I'm your host, Charles Pulesky, and I'm here today with Mark Willis. Mark is a certified financial planner who has helped hundreds of clients take back control of their financial futures and build their business with sophisticated, tax-efficient financial solutions. I asked Mark on the show today to chat about how you can grow your e-commerce business by self-funding. Hey, Mark, how are you doing today? Doing well, Charles. How are you? Doing well. Yeah, great to have you on the show. It's a super interesting topic um, on self-funding your e-commerce business. So yeah, I um, want to kind of get into the details of that a bit. You've worked with, uh, so you were saying, we were talking before the show, um, you've worked with a bunch of Amazon sellers and then some other e-commerce retailers on kind of how to actually fund the business. Yeah, my background is I'm a certified financial planner. We operate a full comprehensive financial firm here in the city of Chicago, but work with clients all over the country, uh, the United States. Uh, our focus has recently become uh, the business owner and specifically the e-commerce business owner. I, I do believe that you know there's a, a lot of trouble in uh, sort of uh, mainstream financial wisdom out there. And I think one of the best solutions to a lot of what ails uh, most American financial lives is um, e-commerce and online business strategies that help you kind of catch up what maybe the 401k lost in 2008 or 2001. Uh, so yeah, we, we found a lot, of, uh, a lot of our recent clients have come from different online e-commerce uh, strategies uh, and business owner networking groups, masterminds, and so forth. It's been a lot of fun and coming up with creative tax efficient solutions to help the e-commerce business owners survive and thrive. Yeah. It's one of those things going back years ago when I was just starting off, I remember thinking, you know, you start a business and automatically kind of cash is just generated and you can just grow the business with cash flow. Um, but most businesses and especially e-commerce, it turns out as you kind of scale, it becomes like more of a cash demand. So you're actually making more money each month, but like run your bank account, um, is just running lower. And it's one of those things where you're constantly trying to figure out, all right, we need more funding here. Um, and the more you grow and then the faster you grow, it actually makes the problem worse. So it's one of those things where when you're starting off, you kind of think, you know, why would this be an issue? But as you kind of get to scale, um, you, you basically just need to buy more products every single month. And, you know, you have the money from last month, but you need to buy more for this month. So it's always requires more going forward. Um, and wouldn't you know that that's a perfect, perfect scenario to basically become a servant to Amazon and Jeff Bezos himself. I mean, that's the only, uh, that's the only entity that really benefits when all you're doing is cycling uh, inventory. And most of that 
margin goes to the fees of Amazon and of course the wholesale price and so forth. Uh, so yeah, you're exactly right. And it's not that different on the family side of things as well in this country. Uh, back in 1940, I was doing some research on the U.S. Commerce uh, Department of Commerce Bureau. They, they actually do studies and statistics on how much people are able to live within their means and then therefore save. So I guess back in 1940, uh, Charles, the average American was saving 27% of their income. 27% on the average. That means some people were saving a lot more than that. These days, as of 2018, it's down to 2.6%. So we're cycling our you know, grocery bill through our, our personal family budget, just as we're cycling our inventory through our business budget as well. We've become, literally, we've, become, we've gone from a nation of savers to a nation of debtors. Uh, on the average, again, same study, uh, servicing our debt back in 1940 was only 11% of our income. And now, as of 2018, anyway, uh, the, the study says that we're spending 135.9% of our income. So that means we're servicing our debt of uh, basically a third of our life savings, of a third of our income is going to just service the interest on our debts. If you can let that sink in for a minute. Yeah, like, wow. if, if time is money, Charles, you know, what is, you know, if time is money, what's a third of our day, right? If it's just basically working for banks, credit cards, finance companies, uh, that, that's t troubling by, by any stretch of the imagination, which is why I think a lot of people jump into e-commerce. Not everybody, but some people are looking for a better way to get a, you know, a bigger and better stream of income. And unfortunately, what they find is they end up kind of wrapping themselves into the inventory uh, rat race, as it were. Yeah. So I guess, how do you get out of the e-commerce rat race? Because I mean, it's very easy to get into. And if you're scaling it, you know, it's just a challenging business. So like, how do you get out of that rat race? Well, you have to learn to think different. You know, if the rat is always trapped in the rat maze uh, and never finds a way out or never decides to break free, uh, we'll just continually be chasing that cheese, uh, always one step behind. Uh, and, and unfortunately, yeah, uh, the, the entrepreneur is one of the best uh, sort of tributaries to go upstream financially in one's life to become an entrepreneur is I think one of the coolest and best ways that this, you know, this country is sort of left for, for uh, the average American. Uh, if you're smart and savvy enough to manage it, uh, you know, I mean, we do have a lot of trouble in our uh, big picture. I mean, we've got $1.5 trillion in student loan debt, you know, mortgages, credit cards that are going out of control. Um, but I'd say one of the best things you can do is start a business. I mean, that's, that's a very old strategy. It's, it's old as, as, as old as the pyramids, really. Uh, but one of the best and simplest ways you can do it is to be an e-commerce ninja or an e-commerce legend. And for us, I believe that it's all about learning to become the, the banker in your own business. Uh, so if you think about it, if the problem is banks, if banks are the foil of the uns unsuccessful entrepreneur, Charles, then kind of like, if you guys kind of know what judo is, you know, it's the idea of using the weight and the power of your opponent against himself. Uh, if you can literally become your own banker and write out the banks, Amazon lending, um, you know, credit cards, finance companies, and recapture that money that's currently flowing out the door to the bank down the street, uh, then you will win even just by nature of being more competitive than the average e-commerce business owner who's in debt up to his eyeballs. You know, if you become your own banker, you can win. When you say become your own banker, are we talking about, you know, pulling cash out of your own savings or like how would you actually fund, you know, 
next month's inventory sort of thing. Right. Yeah. It's a pretty wild, audacious claim. I, I get it. Um, so uh, if, what if I told you basically that you could become your own source of financing, fire your banker, you know, if you already had that power and could do it without necessarily needing like a act of Congress or some sort of major financial regulatory committee to like oversee it, you wouldn't need a hundred million dollars to open up an FDIC insured bank. We're not talking about a literal bank down the street. I'm talking about the verb of banking, you know, the function of banking in our lives. We're already in the banking business. If you think about that, we're all in at least two businesses, our e-commerce business or whatever we do for our living. And we're in the banking business. Uh, so we're just sitting on the wrong side of the banker's desk. You know, we are the, usually we're the borrower. Uh, and sometimes we might think we're really ahead of the game here by just being the depositor at the bank. But we're still a slave to that, that system. We're still swinging on the same axis of what the banks basically require us to do, which is use their system for their benefit. Uh, so let, we'll get to some tactical here in a minute, Charles, but just think with me for a minute. If I have $1,000 and I walk into a normal bank down the street and I put that $1,000 into the bank, that's called a deposit, right? And literally from the bank's perspective, that's a liability. They owe me $1,000, okay? But they're not just going to leave that money in a vault or a shoebox, you know, behind the, <laughs> behind the banker's desk, right? It's going to be put to work. So what do they do? They're literally allowed to loan my money out to the next guy behind me in line who needs the loan. Uh, and usually they have to uh, keep at least an only 10% on reserve. And for the small credit unions, it's more like 2%. So out of my thousand bucks, they might be keeping only two, you know, 20 to 50 bucks in the bank on the vault, on their books. Everything else gets loaned out and that's my money, right? I'm supposed to imagine that that money is still safe and there and available for me. Uh, so they're of course making incredible spreads on that money, right? They're going to give me 0.01% for my savings account. And they're going to charge the guy behind me in line for my money at 10%, 15%, 18%, whatever. That's incredible. Talk about a profit. If, if folks listening to this um, aren't making the margins they want to make in their uh, e-commerce business, go start a bank because that's like the most profitable, long-lasting. There's a great book out there by David Graeber. It's called Debt, the First 5,000 Years. <laughs> and it just shows how long banking has been around in human civilization. Yeah, you make me want to start a, start a bank instead of e-commerce business. So. <laughs> <laughs> and and the, the vast truth is banks are more profitable when interest rates are lower, but we'll save that for another conversation. So what if you could bank on yourself, right? If you could literally have that same function, but just take it back, bring it in-house and stop outsourcing it to someone else who's pulling the profits out of your business. Uh, okay, so we can get tactical there if you'd like. Uh, the bank on yourself uh, concept really helps you kind of down the journey of becoming financially free. And again, I don't recommend this strategy for just everybody. As a certified financial planner, I have to say first, Charles, that it's first going to start with what's the overall objectives? What are your goals? What are your concerns? Now, what are you trying to get your money to do for you? How long do you have before retirement sort of starts? So the idea is we need a cool concept, but of course we need to use a, an actual financial tool that's legal <laughs> in this country, right? And, you know, we, we need to look at it from the perspective of how banking could simply work in your personal financial life. Uh, so, you know, we'd need to have a tool that was safe. We need to have that money safe. We need to have that money you know, growing on a decent, predictable schedule that's beating inflation. 
we'd need that money to be available and liquid for us. Usually you'd want, you know, very little if, if zero red tape to get access to your cash. You'd want to have some sort of way to be able to use the cash for funding your inventory. Uh, you'd probably want to be able to get that money out without a bunch of taxes or fees or commissions. Uh, so you can keep this financial tool lean and effective for your, you know, your business's needs. And if you could use it like a bank, then you'd be able to essentially be your own banker where you're able to pay yourself interest on loans that you take out of your own line of credit to yourself, which sounds crazy. All right. But that's kind of the whole point of banking on yourself rather than lining the pockets of another banker. And finally, I'd personally, anyway, I'd want whatever financial tool we chose for our banking function to be private and outside the reach of creditors. If, if I was to go through a bankruptcy or something and my e-commerce business didn't work out, I'd want to make sure that my money was not accessible and couldn't be clawed back by Amazon lending or other you know, creditors out there, uh, even if my business didn't make it. So you're talking about an actual, some sort of financial instrument where you take your profit. So let's say you invest you know, 10,000, 100,000, uh, whatever it is in the business and move it. So instead of pulling that from your checking account, moving it to a something and whatever that something is, we'll get into, and then using that basically and essentially giving yourself a, a loan, a mortgage, a credit card, however you want to call it. But essentially you're borrowing money from this thing, this, this financial instrument that you funded yourself at that point. That's right. Yeah. It, yeah. Okay. So we're using it as a warehouse of wealth that you can use as a guaranteed line of credit for your business. Um, and we can talk about how it doesn't have to just be for the business, but we'll get into that too. But those were the kind of the stipulations that a lot of our e-commerce clients were calling us, asking us about wanting to have. And, you know, honestly, uh, I, as I did my CFP studies, you know, they typically run you through the ringer on over 450 different financial products that you're diving deep into and studying to become a certified financial planner. Uh, and I had to kind of go through the list and figure out, okay, can I check all the boxes of what my clients are asking us for? And the answer is yes, there is something out there that, that sort of fills all those boxes. Uh, and, you know, I looked through tools that would solve all the problems uh, that we saw our e-commerce business owners uh, having. And wouldn't you know, Charles, of all things, it's, it's an old, very old, very old, little known variation of a 160 year old financial product uh, using something called dividend paying whole life insurance that's maximized for modern cash value accumulation. Uh, so it can do all the things we just listed. So what was that one to say that again? It's, it's, it's a mouthful, I know. Yes. It's called dividend paying whole life insurance that's been modernized for maximum cash value accumulation. Okay, interesting. So yep. div dividend- Dividend paying whole life insurance. <laughs> okay. So this is getting life yeah. insurance on yourself personally, or how does that work? That's right. Yeah. So immediately, uh, most people hear life insurance and, and disconnect it from banking. I'd say, you know, one of the worst marketing failures of the last 200 years is calling this thing life insurance. Uh, if it's designed for cash accumulation, there is a death benefit, of course, but we're building up equity inside a policy that you can control on this side of heaven. So this is not term insurance. That's the stuff that most of us were sort of taught about. You know, term insurance is sort of like renting a death benefit for a certain period of time. You pay a very small premium to borrow the death benefit for 10 years or 15 years or whatever. That's like renting the life insurance. And of course, like renting, it gets more expensive the older you get with no equity. You know, there's no equity in your term insurance policy. It's like renting an apartment. 
Yeah, you get it so, from 20 to 30, and then, yeah, it goes much more expensive at your 30s, right? Because that's it. Yeah. You're a young, healthy 20 year old, and as you get 40, 50, it gets progressively, you know, your policy gets smaller, but it gets more expensive. Yeah. So that's And term. studies show that, yeah. yeah, exactly. And studies show that 99% of term insurance never pays a claim because we all just cancel it when it gets too expensive. So it's like free money to the insurance company. So in contrast to term insurance, there's uh, equity or cash value life insurance. And one of those forms is called dividend paying whole life insurance. It's more like owning a home. So you have all, you still have the death benefit, but you've also built up this ownership equity or what's called cash value in your policy. And that policy's cash grows on a guaranteed schedule every single year, no matter what's going on in the stock market. So how does that work? Do you fund it? So if you have, you know, let's say, 10,000 sitting here, you know, checking account right now. What do you like? Are you funding it with 10,000? And then like, what happens next? Like, how does this work? Well, you know, first I wouldn't recommend someone put every last penny from their checking account into this. However, you know, that's certainly, uh, you can put 10,000 in, 50,000 in, 250,000 in, whatever is your number, right? After we've done a full comprehensive financial, we're not given personalized financial advice here, of course. Yeah. Don't, don't just put 10,000 in if you don't. Yeah. yeah. If you have yeah, yeah. 10,000 in, you might not want to do that. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. This is not replacing your actual checking account. It's just putting it uh, as a, you know, it's boosting the returns that you'd otherwise get in a checking account. That's for sure. It's still just as liquid. So yes, your, your question is, uh, how do we get the money in there? Uh, and you know, when I go to a bank and put money into the bank, it's called a deposit. When I get money into life insurance, it's just called a premium. That's just what they call it. Uh, so you're, you're putting the money into a policy. It's contributing to the cash value and the death benefit of the policy. So it's building and growing on that guaranteed schedule every single year. It's not tied to the stock markets. It's not tied to any sort of market index. It's just growing guaranteed for the rest of your life. So you use that as your kind of predictable growth schedule. And on top of the guarantees, there's the potential to earn some dividends, which are basically profits from the life insurance company. So I guess I'll just quickly mention, Charles, that this is a specific form of life insurance that's uh, purchased from a mutual life insurance company. So if you can think of it this way, there are two kinds of life insurance companies out there. There's publicly traded on Wall Street, uh, where the profits go to the shareholders. And then there's mutual life insurance companies, which is more like a co-op, and it's owned in essence by the policyholders uh, who have policies with them. So if there's ever profits in the company, they're just pushing profits into your pocket, you know, so it's more, like a, more like a credit union sort of thing. Yeah. Kind of like a credit union okay. in some ways. Yep. Mm -hmm. So that's that, that increase is helping you overcome inflation problems. It's giving you additional growth above your contributions. I mean, some of these uh, policies, as you look down the schedule of, of increases that you get guaranteed, right? Sometimes they're three or four or five times as much as your premium was uh, in any given year. And that's all done without market risk, okay? Um, so that's the first piece. I wanted to make sure that it would grow on a decent schedule that was you know, not gonna wow us like the best year the stock market could, but was gonna be a steady, consistent return that my clients could enjoy. Where's, where is this return coming from, right? So you're moving them onto a premium, but what's actually generating the return? Yeah, good question. So the insurance company takes on the risk of loss, right? Uh, if they, they've made a really smart calculation on how many people are going to pass away this year and they factor that into the cost of the insurance uh, in the first few years. 
and they have a general portfolio uh, that they're investing in mostly fixed income assets, Charles. So as they get yield, they're passing that yield on to you and me as, as profits uh, since we'd be the owners of the company. Now, um, if the insurance company was to choose a poor bond or whatever, or just one went belly up or something, again, there is a guaranteed increase on your cash every single year. So you're not on the hook if the markets or the bonds or whatever that they've invested in should fail. Guaranteed by, is it a federal guarantee or is it a private? It's guaranteed by the insurance company itself. And if the insurance company fails, there's oftentimes state by state here, but there's oftentimes some backup plans and guarantee associations you can sort of look into as well. Uh, so that's the guarantee of the insurance company. It's, it's built on actuarial science, not tied to any particular stock market or real estate market or bond market. Uh, so that's the growth. But I think more important for a lot of our listeners is the ability to access this money for whatever they want. Uh, so this is not like a 401k where the risk, by the way, is still on our shoulders, right? The, if the markets tank, it's not like Fidelity or Vanguard or somebody's going to take it on the chin. It's, it's going to be our loss, right? Uh, with this policy, it's not only guaranteed to grow for you every single year. Uh, each year you have more and more cash, but all that cash is then available for you for any purchase or any reason you want. So say you have an event uh, or you have a business need or you have a vacation or a home repair or a medical event or really anything your heart desires. You could send your kids to college with this money. Uh, basically, you take a withdrawal or you can borrow from the cash value uh, to basically become your own source of financing. Okay. So I think I understand a little bit about how this works. So you're adding into this um, policy. They then say, we're going to guarantee you, let's just say it's 4%, right? They go off and the insurance company is trying in the background to invest the money and do better than 4%. So their goal is to do eight and take the four, but either way, they're going to pay you the four. So you just know every year for the rest of my life, I'm going to get this 4% and they're every year saying, we're going to try to get whatever over 4% so that we can kind of, that's their cut. But let's say they can't some year for some reason they do 1%, they'd basically guarantee you that four. So it's this fixed rate of return. Okay. So it's that's right. And I'll just mention again, who are they? The insurance company is owned by you and me. So if they're better than 4%, let's say for in your example, where do the profits go? Well, if they've paid their operation expenses and they've done all the marketing expenses and all that's taken care of, it's profits, it's dividends to you and me. So it's not like they are keeping the, the spread there. They are us. Sorry for the bad grammar there. Yeah, no. How do you, how do you find these uh, insure, I guess I'm calling them insurance companies. They sound more of this like co-op um, sort yeah. of thing. You know? Yeah, they're, they're life insurance companies. Uh, you'd want to work with one that had been around for at least 100 years. Uh, the best way to find, there's over 1,500 life insurance companies in the United States. Uh, so, you know, you don't want to work with any one of them necessarily. They might or might not be able to do the whole banking function, uh, which we can talk about how the loans work in a moment if you'd like, Charles. But, you know, you want to look for a mutual life insurance company that offers dividend paying whole life insurance. Or if you don't want to remember everything we're saying, just you know, listen to the end of this episode, we'll show you some places that maybe you can go to learn more. Yeah, I and think we're, gonna, could, we're gonna put all that in the show notes yeah. too. So if people wanna check that out, I'm guessing you have a, a list Great. of something we can uh, link up to. Great. Cool. Yeah, so definitely wanna know more about how kind of the loans work, um, right? So let's say I wanna, you know, for inventory this month or whatever it is, or maybe personal stuff, how do you, get the money out and then are you paying back um, some sort of, you know, like a, 
some sort of schedule to yourself and saying, Hey, we're going to borrow this for 36 months. And here's our payment schedule. Like who sets that and how does that work? Yeah. As the banker, you set all of the terms there. So yeah, when you use the loan feature on these certain whole life policies, if they're designed correctly, uh, the cash value is going to continue to grow and give you that same guaranteed annual cash value increase and the same dividend you would have received had you not borrowed from it. So let me say that again, because that's, that's kind of bonkers to a lot of folks. Your money keeps growing on the capital you borrowed as if you never touched a dime of it. I want to make sure I'm following this here um, yeah. and everyone else is too, because maybe, maybe I'm a little slower in the pickup. But so let's say you're, you know, 10,000, you're 4%, you borrow 5,000, you're still getting the 4% on the 10,000. Like, that's right. No matter what. So even if you borrow right. half of it out. Okay, got it. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. So let's imagine you have $100,000 in a normal boring savings account. Let's say you'd never heard this podcast and all you had was your hundred grand in a regular boring savings account. And let's say that they were in generosity. Let's say the bank was giving you 5% a year. Okay. I don't know any bank doing that right now, but, and if you do know, let me know right away. <laughs> uh, but if yeah, you not, earn, not, not in today's market, but yeah. yeah. If you had a hundred grand in savings, you'd earn $5,000 that year for not touching your money. Uh, but if you took money out of the bank, right? If you withdrew 30 grand to buy a car or something, you'd only be earning interest on whatever was left in your savings account, right? 100,000 minus the purchase of the car is 70,000 bucks. So you'd only be earning 5% on the remaining 70 grand. Does that make sense so far? Got it. So in other words, we're financing everything we buy. And this is a core truth that most financial planners won't tell you. You'll either pay interest to a bank, credit card, finance company, or you'll pay cash for that thing and pass up the interest you could have earned on the money had you left it invested instead. It's yeah. called opportunity cost. Good way of looking uh, at that. Right. Yeah. So one of the key features of these particular forms of, and we just short for the nickname of them, we just call them bank on yourself type policies uh, since I realize it's a mouthful. Uh, but with these type of policies, if the policy is designed correctly and has what's called non-direct loan provisions, then when you borrow, let's say you have a hundred grand in cash value in the policy and you need to borrow $30,000 out for a car or some Amazon inventory, it's going to pay you the same growth and dividends on the full $100,000. And this is how you can really take that banking function uh, in your life and bring it back in house. And how do they do that? Like once you borrow half of the money, how are they still paying you on the total? Um, yeah. This was the, my, I mean, for me, this is when I got really skeptical and I had to take about seven months to really dive into this myself. Uh, now here's the key. It's all, it comes down to the contract itself, right? Contracts are the bedrock of really Western civilization, but also the insurance industry. Uh, so when you borrow against your cash value and those, that's the key preposition there, right there, right? When I'm borrowing against my cash value, I'm actually accessing money from the life insurance company's general portfolio. So the money, when I take the 30 grand, is coming from the general fund of the life insurance company. They were going to give that money to Apple to help them build the, the new iPhone or the new high-rise downtown. But instead, I have first rights to, to my money since I'm the owner, the co-owner of that life insurance company. See, see where this is going so far? Yeah, gotcha. So the money comes from the general portfolio. I used my cash value as collateral. So my cash value is still there. Think of it this way. If anyone listening has a HELOC or a mortgage on their house, you know, let's say your house is worth $250,000 and let's say you borrow $100,000 as a mortgage or a HELOC, your house is still worth $250,000 after you take out the mortgage, right? 
it's not like the house dropped in value and Zillow now says it's only worth, you know, the net amount. No, your, your house is still worth whatever it was yesterday. Now you've just used your house as collateral for a loan. And that's all it is with the life insurance too. The only difference is with a mortgage or a HELOC, you're beholden to the bank that gave you that loan. When it's a life insurance policy from a company that you own, you can set the terms. There is no required repayment plan, meaning you could go, you know, you could go one month, six months, six years, your entire lifetime. As long as you manage that policy and it doesn't lapse, the policy never requires any kind of loan repayment and they just deduct the loan from your death benefit when you pass away. Okay. So we can basically borrow this money at any time, pay it back at any schedule, right? So it could be you borrow your five grand and you pay it back over 10 years if you want. But all you're basically doing is saying, if I happen to pass away before this happened, you know, instead of getting 10,000, I would get, you know, well, I guess you wouldn't, your spouse or whoever, your beneficiary will get five instead of 10 if you still had that loan out there. If you paid it back before you passed away, you will get the whole 10. Correct. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and we can talk more detail about that. But, you know, a lot of our business owner clients want to repay those loans. One, so they can give their family a larger legacy. But two, it's sort of like recycling your money. Once it goes back into the policy, you can borrow it out again for next quarter's inventory. Uh, a lot of our clients will buy, you know, buy inventory when it's cheap and then wait until Q4 is done and then pay off the policy loan with proceeds from their Q4. And then let's say you, you know, do good, uh, do, you know, are doing well next year and you want to invest more into this. Like, is there a mechanism to do that or is it just another policy altogether? Or is it like, is it separate or how do you do that? Lots of ways to design a portfolio of these policies, Charles. Each policy is designed differently. Some are single one-time contributions, one lump sum. Others, you could put money in each year as you choose uh, with some significant flexibility there. Uh, So each year, we're just packing more, capitalizing the family bank, as it were, and you just plow more in as you have more Amazon profits. Okay. So as your profits, let's say you either either get a second one or just go back into this, but you can basically just keep growing this. Um, and the whole point is you can borrow it over the course of your life. And at the end of life, your family gets it or your beneficiaries get whatever, you know, whatever you didn't borrow, but mm-hmm. you could, yep. and let's say this gets up to something large over the course of your life. It's, you know, a million, let's just say, and you want to go out and buy that, you know, $250, $250,000 home. You can actually give yourself a mortgage to buy that home. Is that- That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We have got clients that uh, either do that or, uh, they're able to accelerate the payoff for their existing mortgage. Like I'll be talking with a couple later today, they'll be able to pay off their $500,000 mortgage here in about five years. And how and do they use their policy? Mm-hmm. Yeah. How do they do yeah. that? Well, imagine the mortgage is coming down as you make your normal monthly payments on your mortgage and you're plowing all you can into several bank on yourself designed policies that are really designed for maximum cash value. So just to be clear for folks, this is not the kind of whole life insurance that Dave Ramsey is describing, if you couldn't tell already, okay? Or Susie Orman or any of the others. Yeah, there's a lot of whole life. In, I know when they throw in that term, is very uh, the water is very muddy. When you first said it, it was like, is that what we're talking about right now? So, yeah. Yeah, likewise. I'm right there with you. So, yeah, as you plow money into your own uh, whole life cash value, that's money that you can access. And if depending on how you can fund it, you could pay off any amount of debt you currently have. Uh, credit cards, student loans, even your own home mortgage. And in a lot of cases, we can take a 30-year mortgage, knock it down to significantly less time, depending on how much you're willing to capitalize your your own personal banking system. Now, explain that to me. So let's say you're talking, if you have a 30-year mortgage with a conventional bank, you can then 
like, how would you do that? So let's say you have a $500,000 mortgage. What do you do from there? Right, right, right. So imagine you've got a half million dollar mortgage and you're paying that down monthly as the payments go into the normal bank mortgage. It's coming down very slowly, especially at first, right? Because the bank loves to get their interest first. And at the same time, we're plowing money into our bank on your self-designed whole life policies as fast as we comfortably can. And at some point, the, the value of the bank on yourself policy equals the remaining balance on your mortgage. And at that point, all you do is you call up the insurance company, say, hey, hey, life insurance company that I co-own, <laughs> please give me a uh, loan for 350, 400,000, whatever the remaining mortgage balance is. And in about three to five days, and this is true for any size loan, whether it's a thousand bucks or 400,000 bucks, you get your money directly deposited into your bank account in about three to five business days. And then you just stroke a check to the mortgage company and you're mortgage debt free. Uh, we've literally had folks invite me over to their house for a mortgage burning party after this happens. It's a lot of fun. Okay, I see. So let's say you're paying that half million dollar loan. What would that be? Let's, let's just easy number, 2,500 a month you're paying to the bank. And then you say, okay, I have an extra 2,500 a month that you're using to fund your life insurance policy. At some point, those lines are going to cross, right? Where you funded more than as the, as the loan goes down, your policy goes up and at some point they're going to cross, let's just say it's 350. And at that point, that's when you can withdraw the money. And then basically you're taking hundred percent of that. You're doing the same thing. You're still paying that 2,500, but now it's going to yourself. And then technically if you could afford the 5,000, right, you could probably now dump 5,000 in and pay in like a third of the time. That's it. Yeah, exactly. Well, and we've now got, remember the policy is still growing with interest and dividends on $350,000 as if we had not taken that loan out. And our house might still be appreciating in the neighborhood at the same time with no mortgage on it. Yeah, gotcha. So now you've just multiplied the, the, the jobs your dollars were doing for you with no additional outlay. And it's no market risk here. You know, this is not like we're investing in margin calls or options trading or day trading or anything like that. This is just plain and simple boring, old-fashioned whole life insurance that's been reimagined because most people, at least myself, I was classically trained in financial planning as a CFP and they teach you to spend as little as possible on life insurance. Pay, pay pennies if you can. Uh, this is flipping that on its head. How much can I put into my policies and you know, what can I use them for as a financial management tool for my personal life but also for my business? You know, How much more profitable, how much more competitive would you be as an e-commerce business owner, uh, if you're using your own banking system, uh, when everyone else is, you know, having to rely on traditional financing means. Awesome. Okay. I am, my mind is kind of blown right now. I never thought of life insurance like this. So I think, you know, I even have some additional questions, but I know we're running short on time. I think other folks will, if people want to contact you or if you have some links, where can they kind of learn more about you or kind of just follow up, you know, if they have any questions, where can they kind of follow up on this? Sure. Yeah, I, I get it. Uh, it. It takes some learning. It takes some, uh, you know, open-mindedness for sure. It took me about seven months to kind of crack open my own preconceived notions uh, uh, looking into this concept myself. Uh, and it's certainly not a good fit for everybody. I absolutely would recommend you work with someone who's been trained in this area, not, you know, uh, an investment advisor might or might not have the best expertise or opinion on this strategy if they're going to point you back toward mutual funds and ETFs and stocks and bonds. So you'd want to look for someone who's been trained in the bank on yourself method. And you know, one, one place you might go is bankonyourself.com. You can learn more there, or you can go to our website and our podcast. And if you like this show, I think you'll love our show too. It's called not your average financial podcast. 
So just go to Not Your Average Financial Podcast wherever you listen to this show, or you can go to notyouraveragefinancialpodcast.com and you'll see all of our posts. We've got almost 100 episodes at this point. Uh, interviewed multiple people in the e-commerce space there, so you can dive deeper into how this might fit, uh, whether it's your e-commerce business or your personal life as well. Uh, we get into tax-free income strategies off of this policy since it is accessible tax-free. Uh, so look into that. Uh, that's again, not your average financial podcast.com. Um, one last thing, Charles, uh, we have a little button on that website. Uh, again, not your average financial podcast.com. If you go to request a meeting and hop on our calendars and just mention, uh, the, uh, business of e-commerce or Charles name in the notes, I'll be sure to send a copy of our book, our best-selling book, uh, how to be an Amazon legend and fire your banker. I'll send a copy to you. If, you in, if you're in the United States, I'll send you a physical copy. If you're outside the United States, I can PDF it to you. Um, uh, compliments of Charles. Awesome. Thank you. Definitely appreciate that. I think people should definitely at least check that out. So um, yeah, we'll link to all the show notes. And thank you, Mark. It was great chatting with you. My pleasure.